Our Old Testament uh, scripture lesson uh, is Psalm 150. It's found in your pew Bible on page uh, 983. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the surrounding sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that is breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for being a part of our lives. So Randy and I go back um, to my home church, which is Trinity uh, Press in Spring Valley. And he was good buddies with my mom who passed away um, some years ago now. Our time as missionaries, our time with this church goes back to 1984. So you guys, Lakeside Press, were one of the first churches that came along, uh, alongside of us to stand with us in mission. So from the bottom of our hearts, I want to thank you. Um, there, are no, there are no words sufficient to express the gratitude we feel. It's been a, a long journey, at times a hard journey, but always a good journey. And I think that's how our life with Christ is. So I want to mention something to you. I think in all the time you supported us, I think, I was just talking with Bob, maybe 15, 18 years or so ago, Bob Mency let me preach here. He's kind of busy. Uh, but otherwise, I mostly shared moment for mission and, and then some time in the Sunday school. So today I want to share from my heart. We have a few, a few years left with MAF, and I've, I've gotten to the point in my life when it's more important for you to know who I am. I've come, to, I've come to something here, so just sit on this. Let me know what you think about it. I can't speak truth into your life until I know you, and I can't know you until I know myself. So I've been, I've been on a journey. I know myself way better than I did all those 35 years ago when we first joined MAF. Um, and there's something else interesting about our path in MAF um, my wife Debbie and I, uh, actually we've been married 36 years now, 35 years with MAF. Um, so our overseas service were in, uh, was in the countries of Honduras, in the Mosquitia, uh, Venezuela, and Mexico. I'll come back to Honduras in just a little bit. And then the Lord brought us back to the U.S. in the year 2000. And I'll tell you what, for, for we missionaries, it's kind of like fish out of water. We had been overseas. We had connected so deeply with what the Lord had us doing that coming back to the U.S. was really awkward, really awkward. Just in case you want to know, every single furlough, every single time we come back to the U.S., there would come a time when, it w when we would have to go to the grocery store, and I would just grab Debbie's hand and say, take a deep breath, get ready, and we'd go in and just stand and just hold each other and look because uh, there's, there's so much. That's, that's just a tiny bit of the kind of reverse culture shock. You see, the Lord had helped form 
a hole in our heart shaped like Honduras. And then he asked us to move to Venezuela. So then he helped form a hole in our heart shaped like Venezuela. And then he asked us to move to Oaxaca, Mexico. And so he formed a hole in our heart shaped like Mexico. And now we're here. What do you do when you've got an empty hole in your heart? So I am a pilot. Uh, are there any other pilots here? Anybody else fly? Okay. So you pilots know how cool flying is. <laughs> and it can, it, can be a, uh, it can have a large, uh, a large part of our identity, who I, you know, who I am. I'm a pilot. And so I, f- I felt kind of lost as a person having to leave behind the, the uh, ministry and work that we'd known so well. And this has nothing to do with whether or not I truly love what, what we're doing at our headquarters. It had to do with a hole in our heart. So in, in our Lord's mercy, he brought Latin America back to us. And so I find myself now for about, I lose track, maybe uh, probably at least 11 years now, avocationally pastoring Spanish-speaking immigrant church. So I'm going to give you a clue here. If you prepare messages in a foreign language for 11 years, your language capabilities will improve. But that wouldn't be possible had we not been on our missionary journey, which you've been a part of the entire way. So whether it's with our work with MAF or whether it's with our work with our little Spanish-speaking church, El Crucero, it's all possible because of us working together. And I just want to thank you for that. So I'm a missionary, and I've got, I've got notes. I've got to warn you. Well, I am very introverted. And I shared with Randy and Trinity some years ago, I finally figured out how I, I may not appear as a very introverted person, but I am. So reading the book of John, chapter 15, verse 15, some years ago, it clicked. I saw something that clicked. So that's the passage where Jesus tells us, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. And instantly I knew. I don't know about you, but if I have a famous best friend, I'm going to name drop. I'm going to brag on him every chance I get. So that's, I think, how the Lord has taken a very shy, introverted, wounded person, more on that in just a bit, and brought him to this point. Part of that path had me start learning how to preach just at others' encouragement. Uh, our various pastors over the years asked me to preach. So I learned to preach in Latin America where an hour sermon is kind of a short one. So I won't keep you that long. I'm watching. I'm watching. <laughs> I won't keep you that long. Uh, but if you really misbehave, I'll switch to Spanish. How's that? So I, I brought some slides. I just want to talk about like our corporate story. So if you could bring up that fir- uh, first slide, it's a picture of just the four people. Yes, okay. Um, so MAF serves in, I'm, I'm going to lose track here. Uh, this is from Congo, East, Eastern Congo, actually. Um, we are in Mozambique, we are in Lesotho, those are African countries. Um, but I want you to know that missions are going to places that are really hard. And I think the Lord is also bringing the mission field to us because some places it's really hard to get to. The Lord's bringing the mission field to us. 
whether it's Latin Americans uh, or Middle Eastern refugees, the mission field is coming to us. Uh, we are also in Indonesia and Haiti, and we have affiliate programs in Mexico and Guatemala and Suriname uh, and Ecuador. So that's just uh, like a broad strokes uh, image of where MAF operates in the world. And we're just one mission. There are a lot of missions working. Uh, so imagine yourself in Congo. And so you can see the two, the two folks in the middle, they're adults. They're just not very big, not very tall. These are pygmy folks. I think we've all heard of pygmy. Now in Con Congo is a very stratified society, very tribal and each group, look, there, there's pecking orders of how things work. Pygmies are at the bottom of the heap. Socially, yes, they're socially at the bottom of the heap. But the gospel has reached pygmies. And so this man, um, this fella, is a Christian, uh, Samaite, and his wife, Ruta, he wanted to get training so that he could evangelize and plant churches among his fellow pygmy tribes people. And so he came to a seminary in the, in the town of uh, Nyunkundi in eastern Congo. And MF has a base there. There's a mission hospital and there's a seminary there. And we all work together. We all work together. That's kind of what you do on a mission field. You work together with folks. Uh, so MF provides the transportation to bring some IT and his wife, Ruta, to the seminary. And then once he graduated, went back. And then after they'd been in their, in their area for a while, they brought him back to Nyungundi for some debriefings. Uh, how's it going? Uh, what, could we, what could we have done better? How can we help in the future? And so as the question came up, how can we help? Um, he said, well, it's really hard to get around from village to village. And so somebody says, we could get you a motorcycle. And he said, that wouldn't work. Well, why wouldn't a motorcycle work? They're very, very um, economical transportation. And he says, we can't get gasoline. So somebody said, well, he said, how about a bicycle? Could you get me a bicycle? So this is a grown man. Do you remember when you learned how to ride a bike? Most of us are pretty young. And I have just vague memories. So here's a fully grown man. Um, next slide, please. So this is just, this is just a video maybe two months old. Uh, so we advance the slide. So imagine that guy, the next video is just a uh, short, uh, the next slide is a short video clip of him riding a bicycle. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave this, I'll leave these, these slides with you and if you can get them working, I think you'll enjoy it. To see a full grown man riding a bicycle and he disappears off in the distance and what we don't know is whether or not he was able to come back. So regarding this last hymn we sang, I asked Randy if we could sing it. It's one of my absolute favorites. And I never know if I'm going to be able to make it through the hymn. I didn't actually make it through the hymn this morning singing it. Uh, particularly the, the refrain. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So I want to talk about, the, you know, we're talking about our story here. I want to talk some about my story to encourage you, and I hope I can encourage you to think about your story and sharing, because I think the more we know each other, the better we, uh, the stronger we are, and the less likely 
um, that the lies and fiery darts of the enemy will penetrate us. <clears throat> so I just want to tell you a little bit about myself, my history, and then I want to tell you about some exciting things uh, that I've been learning from Scripture as I've been uh, leading this uh, Spanish-speaking church. So I mentioned that I'm an introvert. Um, I know now what I didn't know 35 years ago, how wounded I was. You see, I, um, I grew up in a household where there was, there was no angry outbursts, you know, just verbal arguments and hashing things out and getting it over with. There was just this undercurrent of anger um, between mom and dad. So I grew up in a household where negative, negative emotions were not allowed. If you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Uh, these are subtle cues, and I, I'm kind of a sensitive, introverted sort, uh, so I internalize. Um, there are four of us siblings, and each of us react, reacted to uh, this household growing up in, in different, slightly different manners. Um, but it, that kind of thing can cause a young child to form negative self-opinions. Uh, coupled with that, our dad's litany of nicknames, I think for both, he was the equal opportunity sharer of nicknames with me and my brother. So who here is familiar with the Three Stooges? I think we all are. And all the nicknames that Mo always let rattled off for Curly, Knucklehead, Chowderhead, Dun uh, my dad added a few, Dun all those things, all those things. So I, what I ended up with, and I didn't realize, what I had zero self-esteem, zero self-worth. I remember as I got into high school, that there were times when it just hurt to be. It just hurt to be. And I wish it weren't so, but I think my story is not that uncommon. Human woundedness, um, it's prevalent. There are statistics that say from 75 to 85% of the U.S. population has some sort of a wounded attachment style. Now, I know about this because my wife and I have been counseling for a good number of years, and, and, we're, and we're getting better. Um, that means that most of us here have some sort of unhealthy self-image that happened because of the life we experienced growing up. One good thing that mom and dad did for us is they sent me and my brother to Forest Home. Uh, I think many of us, because of the proximity, many of us may be familiar with the programs at Forest Home. So mom and dad sent my brother, he's a year older uh, than I, and the first year we went, it was the uh, summer going into my sophomore year, and he was going into his junior year. Uh, he became a Christian, and I could, I could see a change, but we didn't really talk much about it. And so then the next year, and again, I remember, not always, but some things would happen. I, I just felt so awful 
I just hated who I was. I hated being. And I would go for long walks to try, just to try and be, my, be by myself. So it was during the second summer uh, high school camp, and somehow I finally slowed down enough to hear the, the speaker talk about how much God loves us and what it costs for him to buy our freedom in Christ and, and that he actually, and that he forgives us. And so he invited us after the message was, uh, um, I got it written down. I looked up a, an old 1970 calendar, so that would have been August 20th. It was the, uh, 1970. That was the third Thursday of August, uh, 19, August 1970, going into my junior year of high school. And I went out and sat on a tree stump and with just a beautiful, crisp mountain sky full of stars. And it was really hard because I had no concept of what it was to have somebody actually care about me, to love me. And I dared to invite Jesus in. I said, Jesus, if you're real, would you come in and save me? And he did. He's been with me every step of the way. It was that real, from dark to light, from dark to light. So fast forward, um, I met Debbie in Bible school. I was a criminology major in college, and uh, through a variety of circumstances, I, I felt the Lord leading me uh, not into law enforcement, but into missions. So um, I, I got my mechanics training at Miramar College, and I learned to fly at Gillespie Airport. And MAF wants us to take Bible classes, so there was, at that time, a small independent Pentecostal Bible college in East San Diego. I think they might be in Poway yet. And that's where I met Debbie. So we were married in 1983, and then we joined MAF in 1984, and so we went to Honduras first. So I, I'm going to try and draw you a, a picture of what Honduras looks like. It's sort of a triangular-shaped country, uh, so on the... On the, the Atlantic or Caribbean coast is east-west, east-west coast like this, not, and there's just a little bit on the Pacific Ocean, and there's a long river uh, that divides uh, Honduras and Nicaragua, and so we, we were assigned to the very far northeastern corner. Um, it was a, a part of Honduras, maybe the size of uh, San Diego and Imperial counties combined, with no roads no roads. So the access, we could either get there on a little airplane, about an hour and 45 minutes in the airplane, or five days on the ocean and 12 hours in a canoe. So it was pretty, it was, it was a very isolated place. And we lived in, in, in uh, a Miskita village. The Miskita are the indigenous folks uh, in that part of the world. And we just loved it. Very, very busy. They were shooting wars on all three sides of us. Uh, we, were, we, we were working with refugees, we were working with, uh, uh, there was a mission clinic where we, where we lived, so we had hospital patients, uh, evangelistic, evangelistic flights, um, you name it, we were doing it, very, very busy. In the midst of our busyness, I got a call to bring a patient referral from the county seat about 20 minutes over to the village where we lived in Awas, and uh, she was a TB patient. Uh, tuberculosis is one of the diseases that runs wild out there. Um, 
So I just, okay, I'm going to pick, pick them up. They came from uh, Raya, which was way up in the corner, right next to uh, Nicaragua. And so I, I picked them up, and there was the young lady, I think maybe 14, 15 years old. It's hard, hard for me to remember real well. Just a beautiful young gal. The Miskites are beautiful people. Uh, there's indigenous, uh, the dark brown, there's some black African influence, there's English pirate influence. Uh, so quite a mix, but she had just normally just a beautiful, rich color, not this kind of pasty stuff that, that uh, the Lord blessed, <laughs> blessed me with, um, and her mom. But when I saw her, so if you can imagine somebody like that with no color, kind of a sallow, uh, kind of a, it, it's an odd color, an odd color, beautiful gal. Uh, do we remember what one of the alternate names for tuberculosis is? Consumption. Consumption. So if you, if you can picture uh, perhaps some of the Holocaust survivor images, that's what she looked like. And I picked her up. Excuse this is probably 34 years ago. And I can see her. She left a mark on my soul. To describe her as light as a feather is, is an understatement. She is just, there is not much there. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, thank you. It may have been some of, uh, she probably didn't know very much Spanish, but she knew how to say thank you. And I remember thinking, why are you thanking me? I should be thanking you. That thought came instantly to my mind. It was such a, in all of our busyness, it was such an honor to be in a precise place to show a bit of Jesus' love to her and bring her to the clinic. Well, unfortunately, I quickly, she kind of slipped out of my mind because we were very, very busy. And I think a week or maybe two weeks later, I got the word, uh, it was on a Saturday, that she had passed away and could I take her body back to her hometown of Raya uh, for burial. Uh, these things, there's no refrigeration, so these things have to happen right now. And in the, in the interim, some of her, more of her family had come, so there were a total of five of her family plus her, and we have small airplanes. Um, Six-seaters, me plus five. And... I, I had to approach the family. I said, I can take all of you if you'll give me permission to carry your daughter down in the cargo compartment in the bottom of the airplane. And so they granted it, so I was able to take her back home. But I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, I saw Jesus, just a look. Have you ever looked at somebody and just seen Jesus? If we have those moments in our, in our heart, in our memory, they're precious to us, aren't they? And that formed just a fierce love in my heart and, and uh, Debbie's heart for these people. Before I mentioned the Miskito people, had anybody heard of the Miskita? No. Nobody still knows. They're still there. But God knows. God knows. He loves them. That was just a, a real one story 
of how the God, how our Lord impacted my heart. And you see, you can't speak truth to me until you know me, and you can't know me until you know yourself. So I, I share this, hoping to encourage you to share some of your hurts. Be willing to be vulnerable, because we risk. Who here has not been vulnerable only to have received condemnation or rejection or correction or somebody's trying to fix you? And sometimes all we need is somebody to sit next to us and say, oh, I'm so sorry, that must, must really hurt. Often that's all we need. I'll, I'll wrap up here with just some of the excitement I'm seeing in our little Spanish-speaking church. It's not a big church, but I'm seeing growth um, as people mature in Christ. So uh, I'm not a very creative preacher. I'm, I didn't go to school. Uh, I have life experience. I have some Bible classes. Um, lived in four different Latin American uh, countries. And as, as we started working with this uh, little immigrant church, I think we had enough credibility for having lived in, Honda, in these different countries and having uh, worked with, uh, lived with, and loved people from an underclass, beaten-up demographic. It's just amazing when those people uh, will trust you with their lives, and they do. We want... We want the church to be a safe place where people, we can invite our friends and come and they can be exactly who they are without fear of rejection and judgment and fixing. So let me, let me tell you. So in the book of Mark, I'm so excited for your study in the Gospel of John. It's always been my top favorite, hands down, go-to favorite book. Mark has now given John a run for its money. So let me tell you how. I'm a Westerner, I have a Western kind of a brain, although I have enough experience, I can also see the Eastern brain too. But I like, I like bullet points. If I can put on four fingers of one hand, uh, some bullet points, and I don't have six fingers, six fingers over here, I like that kind of stuff, because I can rattle them off. So let me tell you what I'm seeing. In the book of Mark, in the uh, first chapter, verse 15, we see... I think the simplest bullet point, four point um, definition of the gospel, what it means. Uh, so in, it, it translates a little bit different in English. My Spanish Bible says, uh, la hora. In other words, the hour has come. In other words, now. In other words, today. What are we going to do with Jesus today? Stop pussyfooting around. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Because the time is fulfilled. The second point is the kingdom of God is at hand. Some people think of God as some concept, some abstract that's out there, uh, an ethos, if you will, to, to attain to. Jesus came to tell us, to remind us, actually, that not only, is God not only is God real, but he's right here, right next to us, right now. 
So today's the day. God's real. He's here. Now what? What are we going to do? If we actually grasp that Jesus is God and he's real, shouldn't that affect how we live? I just learned an expression from a friend this week, and a long-time supporter. They're just a little bit younger than Debbie and I. And and Kim shared with me uh, this thought, and I love it. So uh, hang on to this. Just meditate on it. Let me know what you think, or let Randy know. We are changed more by who we love than what we think or the choices we make. So point three of the gospel, and this is in Mark 1.15, repent. Well, how many folks do we know, and at times ourselves, we're sorry that we got caught? But it just said, oh, dang. <laughs> or we say we're sorry today, but tomorrow there's no reflection. So I'd like to offer to you that repentance means... I want to change. In other words, I, I, I wrestle with a question, am I content with who I am? I was not. Remember how deeply wounded? And I, I was wounded. I did, if I could change, I wanted it. And so the Lord is bringing me step by step, little by little, and I'm a m- more self-aware, healthier person than I was. So do you want to change, or are you happy with who you are? I want to change. I want to be more like him. I want to be that new creation that he's promised. But he's not going to do it if we don't want it. We have to, so for me, that's repentance. The fourth point of the gospel I see in Mark 1.15 is believe the good news. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? So I'm seeing just some beauty in Mark here. He actually defined it for us. So I'm going to offer you six points, maybe a seventh uh, in there. Um, So the first point of what the good news means from Mark 1.1, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So as we read that, we need to remember what was it the Hebrews heard? What was it the Hebrews understood when they heard that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When they heard that, they heard Jesus equate himself with God. That's why they wanted to kill him, because he made himself out to be God. So the first... We can't go anywhere as a Christian unless we believe with our heart that Jesus is God, number one. So now we see the uh, points two through six in the book of uh, chapter two. There are four scenarios. In the first part of chapter three, there's another scenario. Um, my commentator calls them controversies. So these are, uh, Jesus is getting in trouble. He's mixing it up with the Pharisees, uh, with the Jews and the rulers. Uh, there are different ways to describe them. So the first one, the passage, I've got it written down here. So Mark 2, 1 through 12. This is where Jesus is talking, 
and they bring to him a paralytic, a man on a stretcher. And Jesus looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, you could probably preach about three, four, maybe five sermons from that one passage. But what I saw here is that Jesus forgives me just the way I am. He didn't ask the guy to clean up. The world, religion, tells us we got to make ourselves right. we got to clean up before Jesus can even look at me. Jesus came, I forgive you just the way you are. I love you. I accept you. That doesn't mean he approves of everything we do, but he loves us and forgives us. So then the third point of what does this good news mean we see um, Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. And this is where we see Jesus calling Levi, who's also known as Matthew. He calls him, and not only does he call him, he invites himself over for supper. Have you ever had anybody invite themselves over to your house, and what are you thinking? My house is a? So the take-home is, Jesus doesn't care. He wants to come in and have fellowship with us. And words fail here. He wants to really be a part of our... He wants to be family with us regardless of the condition of our house or our life. He doesn't care. He wants to come in. Let him do the sweeping. He'll grab the broom. He'll grab the washcloth. He'll help us uh, find these places, these nooks and crannies in our heart that need, need some help. He wants to come in regardless. Whereas religion tells us, clean your house up, then maybe God will come in. So then the fourth point I'm seeing in the book of Mark, um, so this is from verse 18 to verse 22, and the Pharisees are after Jesus, they're complaining, they said, why don't your disciples fast? And so Jesus and the Pharisees get into it, toe to toe. So what I'm seeing here as point four, I think this is, religion can't save me. You see, the Pharisees were stuck on this system. You work the system, you check the boxes, you do this, you live accordingly. And Jesus came to break all that. So religion can't save us. That's freeing. Jesus saves us, not religion. The fifth point we see is the last part of Mark 2, 23 to 27. This is where the disciples were caught uh, gleaning some grain in the fields and eating it. And again, Jesus goes to task. He goes to bat for his disciples. And this point, you've heard some of my story, and this point is for me the most precious. From that one, we see that Jesus cares about us. I matter to him. You see, my brain can say that, yes, my dad loved us as I look at the various good things he did, taking us to the zoo, the park, the, uh, the beach, the school, all that stuff. But my heart has no understanding of God's acceptance. My heart tells me that I did not matter to my dad. The culminator was when, uh, about my 18th birthday, he just moved out without a word. Just checked out of my life. So when I see that, G- that I actually matter to Jesus, Jesus is going to go to bat for me, 
That's good news. I don't know about you, but for me, that's really good news. I matter to God. The sixth point we see, this comes from the first part of Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. This is where the Pharisees bring a man with a crippled hand to Jesus. And see, they're, they're testing him. They're always trying, they're always trying to, trick, to trick him, to trip him up. And so Jesus, Jesus heals the man. You see, the Pharisees were trying to make Jesus into their image. He was, they were trying to manipulate him into their trap. They thought they could boss God around. So that's my sixth point. It doesn't work. God is who he is. We can't boss him around. So in review there, today is the day. God is here. I do want to change, and I got to believe the good news. So we see Jesus is Lord. I got to read my notes. Jesus is Lord. He forgives us just the way we are. He wants to come in regardless of the condition of our house. Religion can't save me. I, you, matter to him. And we're not going to manipulate. You know what, God? If you, then I will. It doesn't work. So I'll, I'll close here with Mark 1.17. We see a wonderful short um, phrase that Jesus utters to us. Follow me and I will create you, create, I will make you fishers of men. You see, in the Old Testament, that, the concept of, of fisher of men was God. That was God's work. That was for Randy. Jesus came to tell us that it's our work. He invited us to partake. And so as we, as we read um, the parable of the sower and the seeds, we are all sowers. What seed are we sowing? All those things. You remember that we, that we are changed more by who we love than what we know or the, or the, this, the choices we make? The more we love Jesus, the more we partake of him, the more of him is just going to rub off. The more of him is going to fall off. That's, that's sowing. It's not ours to worry about the soil. That's his work. And then as uh, the follow-on parable there in Mark 4, the, seed, the parable of the seed that grows, as Jesus is rubbing off of us, it does, it will. The Jesus in you is rubbing off. As that seed takes root, grows, matures, and begins to ripen, we need to, the, the point of that parable, we need to have our eye attuned to the ripening fruit and be ready to ask. So what do you, we, what do you think about this Jesus we've been talking about? So friends, I, I came to encourage you. I am being vulnerable and sharing some of my story. I've gotten to the point where I love sharing from, from my own brokenness. 
because I'm persuaded that there is a lot of brokenness in this room. And as we can learn that we are actually safe here, we can actually open up and tell each other about these things, there is strength because one of the fiercest lies of the enemy is you're the only one. You're the only couple that has this kind of trouble. Everybody else is okay. Or you're the only individual who feels like this. Everybody else is fine because we are really good actors. Remember the, the word actor comes from, I think, old Greek, and they would just hold a mask. This place is a place where there's a place you can leave your mask at the door. You can be who you are. So do we love Jesus? I do. I trust that you do. Let us be more changed by him, by him, than what we know or the choices we make. Because, you see, the more we love him, the more I'm going to know, and then the better my choices are going to be. We love you guys dearly. We love you dearly. Is it okay if I pray? Absolutely. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, you came to let us know that we can call you Daddy. Precious Daddy, your love is beyond comprehension, your forgiveness, compassion, all those things. We, can't, we only can just begin to grasp how deep and rich those attributes are and thank you Jesus for coming down to walk among us to put a face to what that love and forgiveness and compassion are and Holy Spirit thank you so much for being with us right here right now encouraging us helping us to open our eyes and ears to what you have for us Lord may you be with my dear brothers and sisters here may you give them your eyes your ears for each other for you and for a broken desperate community that surrounds them lord may we always live and walk for you amen amen